0: Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology, and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context, and the new in the New Covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally, Christ-obsessed in all things.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Cross the Crown podcast. Now we have gotten comments that our introduction music and voiceover sounds very similar to the introduction of a wrestling match. So today I'm going to introduce Doug, uh, like like that type of a wrestling match. So in this corner over here we have the welterweight champion of New Covenant theology, pastor, author, uh, biblical lecturer, Doug Gooden of Colorado. <laughs>
0: Oh that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> well I can see why somebody might comment on that. And you know, we are doing a little wrestling, but it also, <laughs> you know, maybe sets up people for a fight and then we come in and we're winsome and we're you know, we're reasonable and they like, oh well, that wasn't so harsh, so it, it
1: works. <laughs> the the uh theological gesture tag team. That's right. There we go. Right.
0: <laughs> tap in, tap out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we are um uh heading straight through the uh, New Covenant Theology Distinctives. And uh, uh, we're, we're making some good progress. We've gotten some great feedback, so we appreciate that. So keep it coming, folks. If you've enjoyed what you've been hearing, if you've been learning from it, uh, feel free to keep on sending those messages, Facebook messages, emails, etc. We really appreciate it, and it's encouraging. And uh, let us know how we can serve you better if you, if you need more information, explanation, etc., etc. So, Doug, what's going on with you, man?
0: Well, I just got back from one of my pl- favorite places in the world, the dentist. Um, mm-hmm. yes, uh, that's a lie. I hate the dentist. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I'm looking forward to in the new heavens and new earth is I don't expect to have to go to a dentist again.
1: Amen. Amen. <laughs> hey, and I, I believe there's also um, somewhere in the scriptures it says there's not going to be any cats in heaven as well uh, in the new well, heavens. There. Well, of
0: course not, because satan created cats yeah uh, yeah you know, and, satan and all of his demons are going to be cast in like a fire so no right, dentists right. and no cats
1: right when my kids ask me if they can have a cat i always tell them that it, the, the the cat is the result of the fall exactly you know exactly. um so <laughs> it's a product of sin and it's not going to exist in, in the new heaven's new earth. right
0: and i should clarify <laughs> i don't not saying that dentists can't go to heaven. I'm just saying <laughs> they won't have a job in the new earth, just like I won't have a job because <laughs> like I don't need pastors either. Right, right.
1: <laughs> yes, so uh, there's quite a few. Spare things. you a
0: few emails there.
1: there. There are a few professions that, uh, yeah, won't be needed. Um, yeah, that's good. That's, cats are, I like cats, but I'm just allergic and uh, more of a dog person. But yeah, I, if you listen to enough of your sermons or, <laughs> or lectures, you quickly learn that Doug Gooden does not like cats.
0: Yeah, I like to say cats are allergic to me. So yeah. I wrote in my book God's Design for Marriage. Uh, I yes. have a little, uh, <laughs> a little humorous uh, anecdote about cats there. And uh, who did I get a nasty gram from a lady <laughs> one time? She could not take a joke. That's uh, that's for sure.
1: You're right, right. You know, folks, if if you want to learn more about Doug Gooden, just pick up his marriage book, and you learn <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> There's a lot of fun stuff in there about you. You give a lot of personal, uh, 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 stories and applications and such. So it's it's a lot of fun when you read it because it's like you're really there. You 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 write like you're talking to someone, like a, kind of you're on a personal conversation with them. So it's a it's enjoyable and informative. There's a plug for the book right there.
0: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yes, and everybody should know my wife has approved everything that I've published because sometimes That's right. <laughs> I'm very free with our relationship, and I want to make sure she's not embarrassed, which she is, but then she says okay.
1: Let me ask you a question. Um, I was a preacher's kid, so I'm, I'm curious how you handle this. What, what, is your, um, uh, what, what, is, what is your rule about mentioning children or family in a sermon?
0: Uh, everything is fair game and everything's for your game. Yeah. wow okay and my kids have grown up with it and they know that now i'm careful i do not uh i do not want to paint them in a bad light and mm-hmm. i will say this i i ra- actually never use my wife negatively um mm-hmm. uh, and i actually uh, try to affirm her big time from the front because mm-hmm. so many husbands don't do that i kind of want to set an example there uh, but, right. yeah, everything's fair game, and my kids know that, and they're fine with it, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to do anything that's going to truly make them feel awful and embarrassed. At the same time, this is real life, and, right. uh, and so I have asked them before, and they, they said they're fine with it, and they, they like it, and, and right. I think if you're careful, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a way to do that where you're really tearing somebody right. down. There's a way to do that where it's just part of life. There's a way to do that to really affirm. And I also turn it around and affirm them a lot too. So they're fine with it. And uh, the congregation seems fine with it. But uh, yeah, everything's fair game in our life.
1: Well, maybe I shouldn't mention this in case your your kids listen to this. But um, I, I had a pastor friend who had a deal with his kids that uh, every time he mentioned them in a sermon that he owed him a buck. <laughs> and and I, I remember one, one, uh, uh, one message particularly – where one particular son's name was mentioned several times to the point where all the other kids were turning around to the kid and giving him the thumbs up. And at the end, I saw the pastor slipping his son a $10 bill. Wow. So- <laughs> well,
0: see, I would go the other way because I, you know, I kind of look at this, and I told them, it's kind of like no press, no uh, all press is good press. You know, there's no such <laughs> thing as bad press. So if I mention your name, you owe me a dollar because that's making you uh-huh. look good in
1: front of all your peers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, now that we've given all the preacher's kids out there some ammunition, <laughs> let's go ahead and dive into our topic. We're talking, like I said, about the distinctives of NCT, and today we're, which is New Covenant Theology, um, and we're talking about the fourth distinctive today. Now, for several hundred years, those holding to Reformed or Covenant Theology confessions, such as the Westminster Confession of Faith or its Baptist counterpart, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, They have steadfastly taught as doctrine that the law of Moses was or is divisible into three parts, uh, a tripartite law. And that one part, the quote unquote moral law, is a part of the law that has always been and continues to be binding upon all men for all time. But is this true? Surely there must be solid scriptural support for such a teaching that has been held by so many saints for so many hundreds of years right? Well, you may be shocked to find out that there is absolutely no scriptural support in the entire Bible for this notion of divisions within the Mosaic Law, but instead proof of the opposite as you read it. In this episode, we will put forward the biblical evidence that the entire Law of Moses was a unit, a package deal, one ball of wax, and that it was inseparable from the covenant from to which it belonged, which is the Old Covenant or Mosaic Covenant. And while we readily admit that there are distinctions, notice distinctions in the law, many overlapping, that all law, actually, whether dealing with diet, hygiene, worship, uh, and the rest, all those laws are moral law. This is true simply by virtue that these laws, these commands, were given by the sovereign God Almighty, and therefore the recipients, in this case ancient Israel alone, are morally obligated to obey it. In previous episodes, we said that these distinctives of NCT build upon each other. Last week, we presented distinctive number three, that the Old Covenant was temporary by divine design. This week, we break down the fourth distinctive for you. It's that the Mosaic Law is a unit. As you will see, when these two distinctives are rightly understood together, they will have a tremendous ramification upon your theology and upon your Christian life. So, Doug, let's start off with some basics. Um, if you notice when I gave the introduction, I mentioned two words, divisions and distinctions. What's the big deal about those and, and what, what is, what do they mean to us?
0: Yeah. Um, so reform theology would want to say that we have, you know, these 600 plus commands given to Israel. And clearly everybody would agree that in the new Testament, in the new covenant, some of them are abrogated. Uh, for mm-hmm. instance, you know, every reformed guy would agree that it's okay for me to have a BLT for lunch today. <laughs> uh, bacon is back on the menu. You know, it's, that's it's right. Loud. Pork is no mm-hmm. longer forbidden. Well, that was clearly a prohibition for the Jews. They weren't allowed to eat pork. So, what gives? Well, it's been abrogated. It's no longer binding on God's people. And so, as people have looked at the the Old Testament. Through a theological lens, and i 'm sure we 'll come back to this as we go here, uh, mm-hmm. they said what do we what do we make of this and so they 've divided the old covenant law into three divisions: one would be ceremonial law, that would include all mm-hmm. the sacrifices, priesthood. All those things, and they would say those were fulfilled in Christ and abrogated because Christ is the high priest; he is the sacrifice, and all that. So they were a picture of Christ; they've been fulfilled in Christ, and now they're they're gone, or, or at least uh, they they're fulfilled by submitting to Christ as our high priest, and so on. They said there are national laws that were binding on Israel as a nation or civil laws, they are called often, um, where when Israel was a nation and the people of God was a nation, then God gave them laws for their civilization, for their, for their, uh, their, their nation, their, their country. And those laws are no longer applicable to the church because the church is not a nation. We're in mm-hmm. all the nations. So that leaves what they would say is the moral law, the 10 commandments. And they would say that law Is not abrogated. It is fulfilled in Christ, but also continues to be binding upon the church because it is the eternal, universal standard of righteousness in God's mind. So, this division of the law allows them to say, okay, Two-thirds of the law have been abrogated in Christ, but the, the heart of it, the Ten Commandments, continue on because that's moral law. As opposed right. to you use the word distinction, clearly we could go through the Old Testament, all, all those 614 laws or however many they are, and we could make all kinds of distinctions, marital laws, dietary laws, agricultural laws. We could, we could put labels on and divide them up or, or distinguish them in lots of different ways,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but that's just uh, you know man kind of doing this. Uh, the Reformed guys would say, but these three divisions are implicit in the law itself and crucial to our
1: understanding of it. Okay. Okay. Now, moral law, the confessions tell us that, um, according to the confessions, they believe that it's not just at Exodus 20 that we see this moral heart, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments, but they would say that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, were actually... Um, in the heart of man back in the garden before the fall.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, if it's the eternal standard of righteousness, if it is inherent in the character of God and what he deems as morality, Mm -hmm. then it has to transcend everything. Whatever God is and whenever God is, this has to be the binding law. So it was binding on Adam. And it was binding on Hammurabi and it was binding on mm. Alexander the great and it's binding on us and every nation on planet earth. If it's truly tied to God's own righteousness, then there's never a time when it's okay to disobey one of those laws. He cannot abrogate any of those if it's tied to his very nature.
1: Interesting. Interesting. And we can, and we'll be going into more uh, detail about moral law and abrogation and, and changing of, of moral law. <laughs> um, but uh, w- where did uh where did this understanding of tripartite law come from because you don't read the word tripartite in there but but uh where where historically uh, did we start seeing this pop up in the church history
0: There you go again committing the uh, word concept fallacy Chris come on we've we talked
1: about
0: that. <laughs> um yeah the earliest uh demarcation that I know of of the uh the three divisions is Thomas Aquinas in the 13th mm-hmm. century and uh, I believe all the reformers who uh, held this view, kind of gave him credit, kind of referred back to his division of the law in this way. Thomas Aquinas was a brilliant philosopher and intellectual person. And if you read through his uh, his Summas, Summa Theologica especially, uh, man, that guy is quite a thinker, but he's much more a philosopher than he is a theologian, right. a biblical theologian.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I, when I studied this topic before, Uh, Looking back in the church history, I found that there were, at times, some folks who tried to divide the law, but it was oftentimes, rather than a tripartite law, it was a uh, a dual division of the law, Mm. um, where they tried to separate moral, and they grouped a bunch of the other ones together. Um, There had been other ones at different times. If you you Google this issue, you're going to get an article by a man named, I believe, Byers, Dr. Byers, who, who writes a defense of the tripartite law. Now, it's, a, it's, a, it's about a 14, 15-page paper, and 10 pages are spent on the historical defense of it mm-hmm. rather than the biblical defense of it. And uh, he, he, he uh, actually tries to, to trace it back to a second-century heretic. Huh. And he says, don't, don't let the fact that this guy was a heretic dissuade you from understanding that there was a division of law. Interesting. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you couldn't even fill up a paragraph of biblical support for it because there's none there. Right,
1: right. Uh, but the you know,
0: theonomy was a, a big push uh, – Rush Dooney mm-hmm. and Greg Bonson, right. some of those guys, and they also said uh, the reform guys didn't go far enough. Right. They said the civil laws were also binding on everybody everywhere. Only the ceremonial laws have been abrogated, and they argued that, uh, for instance, the laws of the U.S. of A. and every other nation should be determined by the law given to Israel, because that too is part of God's uh, requirement for all men everywhere. So mm-hmm. even in the reformed camps, there's been some dispute. So we can divide the law however we want to. That's not really the point. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I don't care if people want to put different labels on different things uh, for the sake of clarity and for the sake of uh, communication. The point is, and the real heart of this is, when you say that some of them have been abrogated and some of them have not, That's where the burden of proof is on you to prove that right? because in the old covenant presentation of the law, when God gave the law, uh, he gave it exclusively to Israel, which we talked Mm -hmm. about in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And that means it doesn't apply to Gentiles. It didn't apply back then. It doesn't apply now. It's never brought forward and given to the church. It was Mm -hmm. exclusive to Israel. It was the heart of the covenant with Israel. right? And to say that any of those laws given to Israel— continue outside of Israel the burden of proof is on someone to show that and the scripture just doesn't bear that out.
1: Oh well we've had an exciting episode, let's go ahead and wrap it up <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> what else is there to say? <laughs> that about says it right there <laughs> Well let's, let's look into a little bit more detail on that um, and what because there's, there's, there's folks who are going to say that there, there is evidence within the scriptures of this but, and we're saying it's just not there it, it, there, there's nowhere where we see um, the Israelites or the New Testament, anyone dividing up the law into these, these divisions. Um, is there, is there any places where we can look in the scriptures and see that there is where, where you would think that there should be some division, but yet it's being treated the, the law, the unit. Uh,
0: I'm not sure I fully understand the question. Again, I wouldn't want to say if you were going, if somebody was going to assert Anything Mm -hmm. along these lines, the burden of proof is on them to show it. I'm not going to take you to places and (laughs) and try to prove a negative here. You can't do that. It's just not there. The assumption all the way through in both covenants is that Mm -hmm. every command, let's go back to what we said last time Uh, at the establishment Mm -hmm. of the covenant (laughs) with Israel. God said on Mount Sinai, he said, right, you will be for me a royal priesthood kingdom of uh, i've seen a a holy nation a kingdom of priests and a a special possession to me if you obey all of my commandments statutes and observe everything i've commanded you to do he repeats that over and over again and we looked at the curses in deuteronomy 28 he never says Mm -hmm. these 10 are the highest most significant and the others are not as important as these 10 these my eternal moral law all of Mm -hmm. them paul makes this point to in the to the galatians uh, and James makes the same thing. If you break one of those laws, you are a law breaker. And the only way to mm-hmm. reduce that to the 10 is to assume it and read it into the text. That the, Neither covenant breaks it up and says these laws are central to God's character and these laws
1: not so much. Right. Um, one of the things that I've seen interesting is that uh, as far as showing the non-discriminatory nature of the law within itself is is uh, Leviticus 19. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. We had a little bit of technical difficulty, but uh, we're back. So you may have heard a chopping sound somewhere in there. Um, but uh, I was asking Doug about, um, although we don't have anywhere where it the scriptures explicitly say that the the law is a unit or to say that the law is divided into several different points. We can see the nature of the law being a unit within the scriptures itself. As you read it, you're not gonna get the impression that there are divisions, uh, specifically uh, the the 10 commandments distinct uh, as far as being part of the the, the law from the rest of it, the civil or uh, ceremonial aspects of it. And I think a clear point is made in in Leviticus 19, where you've got the 10 commandments reiterated within that chapter um, in the holiness law, but you've also got other things in there about planting seeds and, and uh, uh, about eating things with blood and, and uh, various other laws that are mentioned in there right alongside the 10 commandments as it's uh, dispersed throughout that chapter. So it seems to be showing that there's a a coherency or cohesion there, uh, a unity amongst all those laws.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and that's how the Jews would have received it. And that's how we should read it. So
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: here's the thing. So what we have just done, you know, you introduced me as a wrestler. So I'm going to wrestle a little bit. <laughs> um, what we've just done is we have allowed the, mm-hmm. uh, our, the our brothers on the other side of this to frame mm-hmm. the question. And I'm saying I'm not going to play that game. No, right. no, no, no. Uh, they the burden of proof is on them to mm-hmm. prove that the scripture itself divides into these three categories and show me where mm-hmm. that is, right? Uh, I want to say the scripture presents the law as God's relationship with Israel, the stipulations of that old covenant that I have already spoken to, I've already shown, and I can show numerous places because that is clearly. The, the role the law plays in the, the, the narrative of the Old Testament. So to say it's something else, to say that there's an eternal binding law from God on mankind, you've got to show me that. Mm-hmm. It's not okay just to assume that and then go find some texts that uh, show some distinctions being made. So uh, I want let's reframe this. I want to take a moment here and let's talk about what the Bible itself says right. the role of the law was right. in the life of Israel and show there's no hint here that there's any division uh, like the Reformed guys want to make. So okay. uh, Romans is, is the, the, one of the great places to go here. Romans 3.20 is one of those places where Paul gives us the purpose of the law. Uh, let, me, let me back up a, a moment. So Reform theology would argue there are three... Functions of the law. Okay. Uh, they would say there's a threefold use of the law. And they're, mm-hmm. they're talking primarily the Ten Commandments here. Again, assume they're making the assumption of right. the Ten Commandments being the moral law. They would first say it's a mirror to condemn an unbeliever and drive him to Christ. So they would argue that the way to get someone lost, even in our day and drive them to Christ, is to say, look, you've broken the Ten Commandments. Even though the New Testament does not approach it that way, the the apostles do not approach it that way. That's what Reformed theology would teach. Number two, it's a civil restraint to curb the sin of society. So again, if we're going to have laws in our nation, they should be uh, bound up and derived from the Ten Commandments. Again, even though the the Scripture doesn't actually say that. And then three, sanctification. This is how we know how to please God. Uh, That's their argument, and it's all theological argument it's putting categories uh, and and p- finding things in the text that is just simply not there mm-hmm. the scripture does give us clear indications of what the law was for and romans 320 is a great place for that uh where paul says by the works of the law no flesh will be justified for through the law comes knowledge of sin this is in the context of of getting everybody lost and he's just been making a distinction all the way through and yet end of chapter one and chapter two and chapter three there's jews and there's gentiles the jews were condemned by the law chapter two he said gentiles are condemned Mm -hmm. by their own conscience for disobeying Mm -hmm. god and the law brought knowledge of sin it gets more explicit explicit in chapter five verse 20 so you got 320 520 and chapter five he's explaining That in Adam, all are condemned. In Christ, all who are in Christ are justified. And then he he basically assumes the question will come, well, then why did God give the law if Mm -hmm. everything is bound up in Adam and Jesus? And he answers it in verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. That is a massive statement. Mm. God did not give the law to Israel so they would become more righteous. Right. He gave them the law so they'd become more unrighteous.
2: Hmm.
0: It's it's anybody who has a child knows exactly how this works. <laughs> as soon as you say that you're a boy, don't go in that room. What is he consumed with for the rest of the day? I want to get in that room. What's mm-hmm. in that room? Dad said, Don't go in the room. I'm gonna go in that room. That's what I want to do. I'm gonna go in that room. Well, that's, that's what the law did for Israel. When God said, don't eat pork, they wanted to eat pork. When he said, don't make idols, they went and made a bunch of idols. The law actually exposed mm-hmm. their sinful nature. And that's why, in the, in the grand narrative, that's exactly why God gave it to them. Mm-hmm. We see the same thing in Romans chapter 7. Uh, in verse uh, 5, it says, for while we, in this chapter 7, is all about the Jews... Sure, we'll do a whole se- episode on this someday. Yes, we will. While we <laughs> Jews were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law. The law provoked, the law did exactly what God gave mm-hmm. it to them to do. It provoked sin. And they were at work in our members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, having been released from the law, and here's where our reform guys have to say, except for the Ten Commandments. Right. Or they have to say, as they often do. Anywhere it says we're still under the law, it's only for sanctification, right? Never ju- for justification. Mm-hmm. And where it says we're not under the law, then it's talking about the opposite. That's, right. that, again, they're just making assumptions and pouring into the text. Here, mm-hmm. the law is not divided up in any way. It's all expected. Uh, it's all interpreted as being a mm-hmm. unit. And we were under the law as Jews. It provoked our sin. It killed us, he goes on to say, and now we've been freed from it. And chapter 3 is another place. I mean, uh, uh, Galatians 3, as we looked at mm-hmm. last time, right. where Paul very clearly, he lays out how all the promises of God to Abraham were And for the Jew sitting here reading his argument or hearing his argument being read in the church would be, wait, wait, wait. wait. You, just, you just reduced all of God's plan to Abraham and Jesus, Abraham and Jesus, <laughs> Abraham and Jesus. And he knows the Jew in the back is going to raise his hand and say, what about the law? Right. If what you're saying is true, why did God give the law? He says, I'm glad you asked. He gave the law for transgressions, mm-hmm. same point, so that Israel would sin more to keep them, that pedagogue we talked about last right. time, that pedagogue to discipline them and correct them and show them they're a sinner so that they would cry out to God in Christ.
1: Now, do you make a distinction between sin and transgression? Uh,
0: I do when the text clearly warrants it. Okay, um, Absolutely. Transgression often is transgressing the old covenant law, mm-hmm. and sin would be more general for missing the mark of what God wants of you.
1: Right, right. So it's interesting that, the, the, as we said before, the law was good, and there was, there was the, the, the problem here was the fault with the, the law keeper, the one who was trying to keep the law. Right. It was it was their nature um to sin against God. And therefore when the law came about and there were clear lines drawn, man clearly stepped over, or I should say the Jews clearly stepped over the line willfully and knowing that the law was was that line.
0: Right. And you read again at the opening chapters of the covenant, and God says, I'm going to give mm-hmm. them my laws to test them. Yes, right to test them and see if they'll be faithful to me. That was the whole point. That's Mm -hmm. why he set it up this way. Mm -hmm. He gave them laws that they would break to show them their wickedness and their sin. So they would cry out and say, is there any other way to have a relationship with you?
1: And that's, that's Exodus 19, right? Where he says, yeah, where he's giving that, uh, he, he starts off by talking about he's the one who delivered them from Egypt and the purpose that he was getting ready to give them the law was, was to test them. And then of course then he opens up with the Ten Commandments and then he has several more chapters of various other laws and then they have the ceremony, uh the covenant ceremony in chapter twenty four, uh giving them the whole law there. So um
0: and, and by the way, their response to that was Yeah, all that you have said, yeah, we we will do. Not That's just right. ten of the things you've said, not just the ten words, all that you have said we will do.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> all of it. Um and uh there was no distinction made uh, right. at all. So, so yeah. And, and I agree. The, the burden of proof is, is upon the reformed or those who want to keep a tripart law to show us from the scripture where it's at. Now, there's been some folks who've tried to do that um, and, and offered scriptural uh, proof texts. You might, if we take a look at just a few of those, I mean, there's, sure. a, there's a myriad of them, uh, but let's look at some of the ones that uh, we see so often. And one of the ones I see most is first Samuel 15, 22. First Samuel
0: 15:22 All right, First Samuel 15:22.
1: Mm-hmm. And it says, uh, uh, "Then Samuel said, "Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than to sacrifice. to pay attention is better than uh, the fat of rams. Now, I know exactly what you'll say. so so go ahead and and what what is wrong with with understanding this as supporting a so so the argument goes see look here um there's there's obedience uh there there's uh, some type of obedience that's higher and more important than the 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 ceremonial law of sacrifice there's a division there so prove me prove me wrong What, what, what am i doing wrong with that text
0: Right. Well, clearly, Saul is disobeying the command to honor his father and mother.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait. No, that's not the one. Um, Clearly, Saul is violating uh, the command not to covet. Oh, wait. No, that's not the (laughs) one. First of all, there's nothing mentioned here about the Ten Commandments anywhere in this text. The fact is Saul is arrogant, Mm -hmm. and he did what he wanted to do, and he made the grave mistake of thinking that since God likes sacrifice here, I will even though the direct command mm-hmm. was to kill all of right. them right that's not one of the ten commandments
2: mm-hmm.
0: that is another commandment that right. God gave specifically to him go kill, kill all of them Saul says no i 'm not going to kill all of them I 'm going to save some and sacrifice them to God because mm-hmm. he likes sacrifice mm-hmm. Uh, it's not his prerogative mm-hmm. to decide what God wants when right. God has explicitly said, this is what I want. This has nothing to do with the moral law or anything, the Ten Commandments or anything else. It's just direct disobedience. Mm-hmm. And he's pointing out Saul's arrogance in thinking that he knows better than God. It's kind of like with my kids. Uh, as our kids were growing up when they were little, we had one, one command, obey. <laughs> you know you read these parenting books and you hear these guys these gurus and they divide up all these commands and it's right. got to be cheerfully and quickly and right out to all these things I'm Like, no, no no it's this simple mm-hmm. let me make this very very mm-hmm. simple to you obey <laughs> and the only the only thing that gets punished in my household is disobedience mm-hmm. and so i raise them when i tell them to do something whatever it is mm-hmm. there's going to be consequences if you don't obey mm-hmm. so if i tell my son To go wash my car. And my intent in that is uh not so much the car gets washed, but he's been kind of lazy lately and I want him to do something. Mm -hmm. Well, if he sweet talks his mom, which he does because he's got her wrapped around his little (laughs) finger, he sweet talks (laughs) his mom into taking the car to the car wash Uh and comes back and he's all excited because the car is washed and I'm not happy, and he comes back, but 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 you wanted the car washed. I got to wash. You know, yeah, yeah. No, I'm the one who gave the command.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: get to decide how it's played out. And I right. said, I want you to wash my car. Mm-hmm. It's more important that you obey me mm-hmm. than it is that the car gets washed. Mm-hmm. Because my intent in giving this was not so much the, the washing of the car. But his, from his perspective, it doesn't matter what my purpose was.
2: Right. right.
0: He's required to obey me. Saul was required to obey God. He thought he knew better, and God says, it's not about the sacrifices. You disobeyed my direct command, and I am angry with
1: you. Yeah, it's great illustration. Yeah, I mean, and the main problem that the folks who are using this as a proof text are are having is that they're not taking it in context. Exactly. They rip this one passage out of Scripture and isolate it and interpret it as – and their, their interpretation is coming from a systematic theology, a template that they're they're throwing – a confession and saying look this supports what when you take it that verse in its context you realize it has nothing at all to do with moral law um or division of of the, the law itself it is a direct command it was given to one person at one time in history uh and he disobeyed it and that's the context here that's going you, you would learn about what he's talking about why he references a sacrifice and what he's talking about obeying when you just look at it within the context
0: Every law God gives is a moral law.
1: That's right. That's every right.
0: single law. There may be greater and lesser laws. Jesus seems
2: to say there
1: are weightier matters of the law. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but every command is moral, and it's immoral to disobey the big ones and the little ones.
1: Right. Right. That's right. As we said in the opening statement, it's because of, by virtue of them being given by God, they, they are moral, we are obligated to keep them. Right. Uh, Hosea 6.6. 6. Oh, that's the same thing.
0: <laughs> I mean, really. It's, it is. It's it distinguishing is. between the sacrifices, this, this whole business, God desires this over sacrifice. Same thing. He desires yeah. obedience, mm-hmm. and instead of trying to figure out what God wants, just do what he tells you to do.
1: Yeah. I, I did a series of, of articles on the proof texts that uh, reform folks use for for uh, the tripartite division of the law. And um, what I did is I started off with uh, a few of them. Went into depth explaining them, and then from then on, I went to almost every one after that and just said, just see above, just see nice. above. Um, it's the same exact situation. The context shows that there's actually a unity and that they were meant to be – to keep the whole law and that uh, there was n- – yeah, so, so it, was, it was just the same thing one after the other. So, so Hosea 6, 6, 6, the same thing, context. Um, let's look at Romans – did you hit Romans 2.25 already, right? Oh, I alluded or you to kind it, of, yeah. You alluded to it. All right, let's look at Romans 2.25. Because they will say, "That's a proof text there too." Uh, Two twenty-five says, um, through twenty-seven says, uh, circumcision benefits you if you observe the law, but if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, who but who keeps the law." Will judge you who are a lawbreaker, in spite of having a le- the letter of the law and circumcision. Now, the the, the argument is that this right here, um, uh, the, the the ceremonial aspect is being set aside. It doesn't matter. Uh, so that ceremonial aspect of the law doesn't matter. But yet, what is what is continuing on is this. Um, this understanding of, of being able to keep the law, and it's uh, but he who keeps the law in verse 27 is referring to the moral law. What's, what's wrong with that interpretation?
0: Uh, Well, that clearly is not the point <laughs> of the text. That's, <laughs> exactly. That's what's wrong with it. Uh, now, again, we would grant that the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments were the mm-hmm. heart of the Old Covenant. That's not in dispute. And so when it makes perfect sense that when Paul is calling a Jew out on his hypocrisy and disobedience, that he would hold those up as, as significant because those were the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not the problem. We're, we're disputing whether the Ten Commandments belong outside of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not part of the New Covenant. It's part, not part of God's relationship with Gentiles. It was exclusive to Israel. So that's point number one. Point number two is, what Paul is doing here is saying – he's pointing out the hypocrisy of Israel. Mm-hmm. You bear the name Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile. That's not, you're missing the entire point of the covenant relationship God had with you. A Gentile, So circumcision mm-hmm. – he's not trying to divide the law into different uh, categories. He's saying circumcision is what identified you as a right. Jew, right? and it bound you to the covenant itself. But what was the whole point of being in that covenant? It was to obey God. Mm -hmm. So if a Gentile who didn't bear the mark in his body. Right. And this is hypothetical, of course. He's he's just using illustration to Mm -hmm. show the hypocrisy of Israel. Mm -hmm. He said if a Gentile who didn't have this mark in his flesh, if he were to keep all of the commandments of God, he's a better Jew than you. Right. Now, he's not right. saying anybody did. Of course, the, the Gentiles couldn't care less about that. But he's just saying you, you Jews have missed the point. You thought simply because you were circumcised, you're okay. Mm-hmm. All circumcision did was bind you to that law covenant where God would curse you and destroy you if you disobeyed. Mm-hmm. And you've missed the point. You think, hey, we're circumcised. We have the law. We're good. God says, or Paul says, no, you had the law and you broke it. You're in the you're in trouble. That's the point. That's how it fits in the broader context of Romans one through three. So okay. again, there's there's no distinction context. of the law here. It's mm-hmm. that's not his point.
1: Well, what about uh, 1 Corinthians seven nineteen then, Doug? What about it? <laughs> Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matter, and surely those. Since, since circumcision was part of the ceremonial aspect and it doesn't matter anymore, what part of the law does matter still, these commands, is the Ten Commandments or the moral law, right? Well, sure. That's... It's got to be because
0: <laughs> that's what I wanted to say because I'm assuming <laughs> What's the context again? Mm-hmm. What's Paul's greater point? Uh, his point is whatever you've been called to do. If you're single, stay single. If you're married – Stay married. Uh, if you're a Jew, if you're uncircumcised, doesn't matter. Obedience to God is what matters. Mm-hmm. And he's in the whole context here of uh, sexual immorality and not depriving one another and whether or not it's okay right. for an engaged man to go ahead and marry his, his betrothed and vice versa. Uh, he's heading into the sacrificed, uh, sacrifice of uh, meat to idols and things. Is okay to eat that. And, mm-hmm. and in the midst of that, he's saying, "It these things don't matter anymore. These external things don't matter. What matters is, are you obeying God? And the commandments of God that he's concerned about there would be the commandments that God has given through Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting that the only other place in 1 uh, Corinthians where he, he uses this terminology is in 1437, where he's referring to uh, the commands of the Lord that he is, he is giving to them, mm-hmm. uh, that Paul is giving to them uh he doesn't he doesn't refer to the Ten Commandments or moral law anywhere in the the letter it, it, with this with this phrase god 's commands uh, but to but to his commands that he 's giving uh, by the authority of christ
0: yeah I mean the only way to find this to be the Ten Commandments is to just put it in there you might as well right. take, take out your pen and, and actually write it in because it 's not there no
1: uh, that's that's not exegesis is it that's called a exegesis uh, yeah <laughs> yes. right Let's look at one more passage. Uh, there's, it's a dual passage: uh, uh, Matthew twenty-three twenty-three and Luke eleven forty-two. Let's look at Matthew twenty-three twenty-three, though. This is a. We'll, we'll end with this one on their proof text. There's a lot more, but I think these are the ones that I typically see most uh, most of the time. Um, Matthew twenty-three twenty-three says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin." And yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. And then Luke adds in there, and uh, love for God as well. So, okay,
0: so which of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt have mercy?
1: Um, that's number 11, right? I It's mean, somewhere it, between 9.1.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, Jesus just defined for us the weightier matters of the law. Mm -hmm. And he didn't list any of the 10. He said mercy and faithfulness. Again, we're not arguing that there are, that I believe the old covenant as it's presented, there was a hierarchy for some laws. If you disobeyed, you were to take a bath afterward.
2: Mm -hmm. For
0: some laws, if you disobeyed, you were to be stoned to death. Okay. That tells me there is a hierarchy. God is more offended by some than others. And that's all Jesus is saying here. There are weightier matters. But notice he doesn't quote any of the Ten Commandments when he talks about the weightier matters. He quotes faithfulness and mercy and doing the right thing. It kind of in the same vein as the Hosea 6 and the 1 Samuel. Mm-hmm. Obedience, which he did command mercy. He did command love. He does want faithfulness above all. Obey me. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the huge thing of the whole Old Covenant. Obey me. Right. No matter what I tell you to do, and you Pharisees are very, very fastidious when it comes to tithing on salt and pepper, even, but you know nothing about the heart of God, which wants faithfulness and mercy. And and Jesus says you can't neglect the lesser things. It's all moral. Right. It's all required. Right. But you've shown you don't know the heart of God because you're focusing on these littler things and neglecting the bigger things. So yeah, there's there's distinction, there's hierarchy. Mm-hmm. not the way the reform guys want to make it right
1: you know and i've heard the argument that um uh, look just look at the the, the scale of the, the punishments that are dealt out in the law and that will tell you the hierarchical order of the the, the law but but even within the ten commandments themselves you had um, no penalty ascribed for the first commandment um a, again how how can you tell sometimes when someone has another god before god um that can be a heart matter issue uh, so there's, there's no there's no penalty now. Most of them do have capital punishment ascribed to them, but you had some that that uh, included fines. Um, some were n- do not covet that didn't have anything, of course, uh, ascribed to it because it's you can't punish something that's a matter of the heart. Um, but there were, there were there were variances of punishment within them, leading anywhere from um, uh, slavery to to fines um, restitution. So so not even within the Ten Commandments do you find a consistent. Uh, this is capital, uh, punishable by death for everybody all time whenever this is committed. And you definitely don't see that through the rest of the law as well.
0: Right. Uh, and again, reading the story, reading the covenant laws it's given, there's all kinds of distinctions and, and mm-hmm. God makes his comment on what matters most to him and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That's completely beside the point right. of the discussion of whether or not the Ten Commandments are the eternal standard of righteousness in God's mind. And the answer to that is if it is, he didn't tell us about it.
1: Okay. Well, hey, Doug, let me throw this one at you. Um, prove to me, can you prove to me that the, uh, um, the reform folks do not actually see the Ten Commandments, the moral law, as eternally binding uh, and unchanging for all time? Is there anything that would, that would say that, that, that they don't see that way?
0: um uh, i guess i'm confused with the question i'm, think, I'm thinking i'm thinking of i'm that thinking of the f- that it is.
1: well i'm thinking of the fourth commandment what's the what's the contradiction there
0: oh well sure <laughs> sure I see what you're saying
1: right. um
0: yeah the sabbath has been a a, a pain in their neck uh <laughs> since they came up with this uh this division. Uh, you know, Calvin went back and forth on uh, is, is there a ceremonial aspect to it? Because what they're trying to do, they've started with the, the assumption that the Ten Commandments are the eternal law of God. Mm-hmm. Then we have the clear New Testament teaching that no one is to bind your conscience with the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And they have no um, warrants biblically whatsoever to transfer this, the seventh day Sabbath to the first day. Mm-hmm. And and the, the, the New Testament does not tell us to obey a Seventh-day Sabbath. So we have all these, these things that push against that starting assumption, and that's causing all kinds of confusion among Reformed theologians as to what to do with the Sabbath. So some are going to say, uh, well, the, the ceremonial aspect of it is taken up in Christ, and it doesn't really matter when you take a Sabbath as long as you have some kind of rest and that kind of thing, which, again, is all just reading into the texts. Uh, the, the New Testament is clear. We're not bound to a Sabbath. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire law, including the Sabbath uh, and that whole thing. So, yeah, it, 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 what about the Sabbath is it that is required? Think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I again, I've said I, I went to two Reformed seminaries, and in both seminaries, I was taught that um, – the the Sabbath is primarily a day of worship.
2: Mm-hmm. Show me. Mm-hmm.
0: Show me in the old covenant, in the old testament scriptures, where it was a day of worship. Right. It was a day of rest mm-hmm. don't work. Right. Worship is great. You're supposed to worship all the time, but the Sabbath mm-hmm. was a day of rest. It was to humble Israel. We we're told exactly what it was for in Exodus 31. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath was the sign of the old covenant. And God said, just as I've made you holy and set you apart from all the nations of the earth, I want you to set a day aside and do nothing, set it as holy to represent the fact that I've made you holy. That mm-hmm. separated you. Right. And to show you, I did this. And that's why they collected, you know, manna six days a week. And if they collected more than they needed, it would go sour. But on Friday, they could collect a double portion to last through the Sabbath. And it didn't go sour. Right. Why? Because God is showing them, I got this. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who has saved you. Mm-hmm. That was the point was to show Israel. They were separate. And that all pointed to Christ. We are holy in Christ. Uh, and there's no, it doesn't say worship me on the Sabbath. It says rest from your labors on the Sabbath.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll have to do a whole show on, on the Sabbath one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. there's a lot of implications, you know, the history, uh, the reasons behind it, uh, uh, how we, how it's fulfilled. And so we'll have to do a show on that too. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of inconsistencies within the reform understanding of the Sabbath because of the fact that if it's morally internally binding upon all people at all times, uh, unchanging being, being moral, yet they've changed one day to another. And then within reform camps, you'll have various degrees of what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. Some will say there's no recreation. Uh, some will say as uh, one, one gentleman I know who says that uh, organized sports are, are not permitted because they're obligatory but non-organized sports like getting outside with your your children and playing basketball that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you have you have folks celebrate it from sunset to sunset or sun sunrise to sunrise or what's you know there's there's no clear clear language in the scripture for the new covenant uh believer to to understand how they're to keep that. Um and how there's been a change from day to day, you know, from Saturday to Sunday. Um so, so there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of issues with that with the consistency.
0: And to bring it very practical to, to real day circumstances, uh, you and I both know people who have been taught mm-hmm. that breaking the Sabbath is breaking the eternal moral law of God. Right, right. And so they are just fit to be tied on Sunday. Right. They they're they feel. Uh, guilty on behalf of all the brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who uh who break the Sabbath and you know if they happen to be somehow if they 've ever been to a restaurant on sunday
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh they 've been allowing other people to break the sabbath and they 're weighed down by guilt of the law
2: mm-hmm.
0: or if they've been taught, Oh, it's not that big a deal. Just set aside some time for worship and rest. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they read the texts of scripture that talk about what God thinks of the Sabbath and how serious it is. And Mm -hmm. we have the incident where the guys come to Moses and say, Hey, that guy was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath. What should we do? And he says, stone him to death. Right. What do I do with that? Mm -hmm. I'm being told this is not that big a deal. Just, just rest and try not to work and all that. It it just, it, it makes people confused and feel guilty.
1: Right, right. If there is consistency at the least, because it's a morally binding law, there should be some sort of church discipline at the least brought upon someone who is, is breaking the Sabbath.
0: And that used to be the case in our country. Used to be. And no longer, <laughs> they, they just don't have the guts to, uh, to actually mete it out because right. it,
1: well, pe- people wouldn't stand for it. Right. And it was it was even more serious than uh, we would think. It most of us think church discipline of, of it taking place within the local congregation. But, of course, in the early times in America, that was not the case. It was more uh, an issue where the government would step in, that the local the local magistrates would would discipline the individual. And it was uh, a time in prison, um, fines being levied, all kinds of stuff. So it was much, much more harsh. And that's again, that goes into the theonomic aspect of of uh, Keeping the law, seeing that it 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 was not abrogated and bringing it over into the new covenant era as well. Right. Yeah. Let me let me let me ask these two questions, and they're bound up together. And it's more of a practical uh, practical questions. What is what's the problem? What's what's the what's the the danger of bringing a tripartite or any type of division of the law into reading the scriptures, especially where we understand, if you're understanding that some part of it is not abrogated, what's the danger or, or, or what's the error in understanding scripture that way?
0: Well, twofold. Number one, it's just not in the Bible, and mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's wrong because we're teaching something that is not in the Bible. Um, but very personally for, uh, for me, at least, is we have spent this entire time discussing and debating something that is not in the scripture. (laughs) And what we have not talked about is Jesus Mm -hmm. and his commands and what he wants for his people, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what it's all about. Everything, Mm -hmm. as we have said over and over again, everything in the old Testament, including the old covenant law Mm -hmm. pointed toward Jesus, prepare the way for his coming and now, on the, on the, to- on the day he, re- he rose from the dead, or shortly thereafter, when he gave his what we call the Great Commission to the disciples, he mm-hmm. said, teach the nations to obey all that I have commanded. And we are in danger of robbing Jesus mm-hmm. of his lordship and his right to rule and his commandments when we focus on... And a finished covenant, mm-hmm. and its law. Right. It is not about Moses and the law of Moses. It's about Jesus.
1: Right. It's it's, it's a preference for shadow rather than substance. Whereas you were you were talking about in one of the other episodes about looking at the picture of your wife rather than the wife that's right in front of you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Well. Okay. So let me ask you this, uh, and and that's let me let me add this one <laughs> segue. And next week, <laughs> our episode will deal. Uh, with this this topic, as, as, as Doug is mentioning about how uh, we should be listening to the new lawgiver. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about how Christians are not under the law of Moses, but we are under Christ and His command, His law. And we'll be discussing that in depth next week. Let me ask you, because you and I, we know people um, who who this is affected, who having a, a tripartite or some type of division, and it, if they carry it over into – they carry the law some, in some portion over into their Christian life, what what are the hazards of that? What, What's the effects of bringing it over to their life?
0: Well, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the whole context of it is to expose their sin and judge them for it. Mm-hmm. Your conscience gets really weighed down.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: and again, it uh, a bigger issue. I mean, that's that's sort of a personal issue. Uh, a bigger issue for everyone is it is not the storyline right. of the Bible. Right. It, right. it it now reads the Bible as a theological book instead of the story of Jesus.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you read it along its historical lines, there's space to bring the Old Covenant Law forward abstractly and, and based on presupposition. As we'll get into next week, where the New Testament does, then of mm-hmm. course we. The, but those those laws are our mm-hmm. laws, not because they're in the Old Testament, but because right, they're New. Right. Right. Um, but it forces us. We, we we have to read the Bible as presented, as the story of Jesus,
1: and leave it there. Right. right. As a personal testimony, I used to uh, be a full subscriptionist to the 1689 London Baptist Confession, and so I I tried diligently uh, to to be a Sabbatarian and. Uh, for many years, I suffered under a lot of guilt uh, every Sunday because of the fact that I kept mm-hmm. finding myself unable to keep it and kept having to ask myself, am I uh, checking myself, am I, my, is, is this good enough? And, and mm-hmm. so I suffered from a lot of guilt every Sunday um, trying to make sure that I was, I was walking the walk in, in, in tow with the law. Well, getting back to a point you were making a minute ago, If you broke the Mm -hmm. Sabbath as your
0: church there had said, nobody was going to put you on church discipline Mm -hmm. for it, right? right? What if you were an adulterer? What if you were a Mm -hmm. murderer? They don't treat the breaking of the Sabbath the way they treat all the other commandments.
1: Right. And I actually had the opposite problem where I was going to churches at that time that were not Sabbatarian. So there was this air of self-righteousness that would creep up Ah, and – that these these folks were were in sin, um, to some, and I had to wrestle with that because I, 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 one side of me was saying, okay i don 't see how this is they're sinful people, uh, but yet I had this understanding that to break the Sabbath is to sin, and so there was this conflict of how to view these these folks, these, these beloved brothers and sisters, uh, who, who, by all of their measurements, were, were walking in godliness and love, the Lord, love to the Lord, love of the Lord. So it was very conflicting inside.
0: So let me let me say this is uh, uh, to kind of wrap mm-hmm. up this segment, and I, and I say this for anybody out there who is who who is persuaded that what we're saying is true, but there's just there's something pulling against them. We have to be willing to say, yeah. show me, <laughs> prove it, and we must not let. The other guys frame right. conversation. Uh, the porch con, the pre pre conference mm-hmm. debate right. last year. Uh, w- the guy who was on the other side, I can't remember his name now. Um, he set the tone mm-hmm. for debate, and that's so often what happens. It's you know it's an old sales trick of selling, uh, pointing past mm-hmm. the sale where we're we're debating. Uh, the moral eternal character of the Ten Commandments and all that. No, no, no. We're gonna uh, come back and say, show, me. show right. me. When I read the Old Testament, it says these laws were given to Israel. Show me the tripart division in the Scripture. And, and someone's gonna say, well, show me the Trinity. Okay, Great commission. <laughs> right. here are the, the three names: you the you the, baptism, in. the baptism of Christ. I don't care if you use the label <laughs> Trinity or right. not. Here are three persons right. of the Godhead. Show me moral, civil, ceremonial, and where anybody makes those distinctions and where one category is carried forward. We must not let anybody else frame the discussion. We frame the discussion because the scripture is clear. The purpose of the law was to condemn Israel, and to provoke their sin, so they would call upon Jesus. Anything else has to be shown, and I don't. Think- and
1: the phrase "good and necessary consequence" is, is not a biblical term. <laughs>
0: well, I would agree with him. I just don't. Right, think right,
1: is. right. But but what I'm saying is, is you often have folks right. who, who assert this, and they'll throw up a uh, that phrase to to yes. substantiate their claim that there is a moral law. No, no, no. Let's 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 go to the scripture and see if that is so. Um, right. But you're not – and that's, that's the problem. Is, And I'll be honest with you, Doug. As I do research on various topics, uh, there, there's other other ones, um, the, 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 the Adamic Covenant. Man, did I receive a lot of ridicule for that last week mm. <laughs> when I said Adamic Covenant, and all my friends, sure enough, they did. They came after me joking with me about that. <laughs> but, but the Adamic Covenant, um, the moral law, the Ten Commandments and stuff, a lot of these covenant writers will actually tell you there is no explicit text. And, and then they'll go on to say, but if you look at this overarching, um, if mm-hmm. you systematize it, uh, then you'll see this. Uh, but there's no. So you should read, uh, you should read John
0: Murray, mm-hmm. for instance, sometimes mm-hmm. and circle every time he uses the word clearly. Yeah. Usually when he says, and I, I respect mm-hmm. him. I mean, he wrote some mm-hmm. great stuff. But every time he says the word clearly, he is saying this isn't in the text. But clearly right. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have to say clearly this is true. I should be able to say, it's, look, it's here it right is. Let me right.
1: read it to you. Exactly. 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 Yeah, if you're quoting theologians, if you're quoting uh, commentaries and, and not quoting scripture, then you've you've got some errors uh, with, with how you're trying to, to prove something. So, Doug, do you have any more comments?
0: That's probably enough yeah. for people to, yeah. to chew on and, and stew there's on. There's a lot
1: more we can go into, and we will do that next week as we – Dive into uh, – because we, we've been asserting issues about the Old Covenant and the, the law being one unit. Uh, so the, what we're trying to say with both of those is is that the Old Covenant with its laws, all of its laws, and its, it's priesthood, its ceremonies, its civil, it's, its Ten Commandments as a whole is wrapped up with that covenant, and that covenant with everything else in it, involved in it was temporary by divine design and and, and pointed to something greater that was to come. And that was Christ. Notice the language of the scriptures until, until, until Christ came. Mm -hmm. And that is what we are going to focus on primarily next week. Uh, We are going to assert that uh, the, the, the the substance has come and the great lawgiver, Jesus Christ has come and he has given us his command. Um, With that, let me wrap this up by saying that you can contact us, by looking in the show notes at Chris at CrossToCrown.org, you can leave us a message within the apps and within uh, Facebook. You can go to Cross to Crown on Facebook, and there's there's stuff that's coming out all the time. Videos from Doug that have nothing to do specifically with NCT, although. <laughs> he's got an NCT mindset when he's when he's coming coming at you with the scriptures, but he's got a lot of great marriage stuff. Specifically, husbands, you need to be subscribing to that page right now because Doug is putting out a series for directly for husbands, and uh, they're quite a blessing, and uh, they, they give you some good challenge too. Um, check out the Cross the Crown website. You've heard us mention books that are that are on there. There's there's a plethora. I like that word plethora uh, of books out there dealing with many of the topics that we've talked about already, um, and uh, they're not these huge volumes that you would see. Uh, I think Doug and I have mentioned it before that uh, oftentimes theologians spend too much time uh, putting ink down on page when something can be said a lot more simpler. Uh, and if you're intimidated by big books, you're going to be okay with the New Covenant Theology crowd because we like books that get to the point and exegete uh, the scriptures and are not worried about what every other single other commentary, commentary is saying about that passage. <laughs> so um, with that, I believe we're done, and we'll wrap this up. Folks, we appreciate you being here, and we just want to remind you and encourage you to always live Christ-obsessed in all things. Until next week, Lord bless you.